my teaching series, and, and this series, I mean, we go all over the place and cover all kinds of things, and that's going to happen today. So I've been uh, teaching since May on a sub, uh, the subject of faith. I call it faith till the end. This is lesson nine, and we've had Sundays in between the Holy Spirit moves, and we do different things, and I've been on vacation and such. But nonetheless, this is lesson nine. Again, the notes are on the website. I usually don't get to everything that's said um, on, in the notes, but they're there for your help and aid. Just, how many know just because you hear somebody doesn't mean you're going to put it into practice? And what I found out is not what I hear, but what I do that blesses my life. So if all you do is come to church to save your conscience, but don't do anything with it the rest of the week, you're wasting your time, right? So I give you notes and I do it because I want you to get it. I want you to look at the scriptures and think about them. Um, just by way of review, First John 5, 4, whatever's born of God overcomes the world, the victory that has overcome the world is our faith, Ephesians 6.16. There's a faith emphasis in the New Testament, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. It's a shield that keeps you from being attacked by the enemy, 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. That means it's not easy. You've got to struggle through it, wrestle through it, lay hold on eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, Hebrews eleven six, but without faith. Now here's a challenging scripture. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. Wow. Do you have the faith that can please God? That's a great question, isn't it? For he that who comes to God must do two things. Number one, believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So been covering eight things that you need to know about faith. Uh, all of it's online. We have the video, the audio. They're available. And if you haven't heard any of this, it's all available. There's no way I can go back and explain. But we've uh, covered six of the uh, eight points. Number one, faith is a gift given to you by Jesus when you first come to him. He gives you the faith to believe that he is. Number two, faith can be increased by meditation and practice in the word of God. Number three, faith takes place of what can't be seen or felt until it shows up. I love preaching that. Number four, faith is never future. It's always present tense. If it's not now, it's not faith. Hebrews 11, one, now faith is. Uh, Number five, faith cannot be separated from words. Spent two weeks on that. Your words show what your faith is. Your words are your faith speaking. If you want to know what you're believing, what are you saying about any area of life? Your physical body, your relationships, um, uh, everything about you, your job, your finances, yada, yada. Whatever you're saying about it, that's what you really believe. So how many know, just don't use words frivolously. The more you understand the impact of words, the less you'll talk. In fact, Proverbs says a fool is known by the multitude of words. Ooh, hot dog. (laughs) Number six, the foundation for faith is a heart relationship with God. And then number seven, we talked about that last time, last Sunday. Number seven, the foundation for faith must be rooted in good relationships. I thought I would get further then I think I'm going to get today, so uh, we may have to put part two on this one as well. Mark eleven twenty two, Jesus teaching his disciples um, about faith. Uh, I actually spoke to a tree, and it withered and died. The next day, they noticed the withered leaves on it. And Jesus, verse 22, Mark 11, answered and said to them, Have faith in God. 
For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. Everybody say, does not doubt in his heart. So what we're capitalizing on is faith is a heart thing. We're talking about the heart, the spirit of man, but believes that those things will, he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Would you like to have everything you say? Then why in the world are you saying it if you don't want to have it? Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, you'll have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses, verse 26 says, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your sins. Wow, that's a strong word, isn't it? So again, faith is a heart thing. And last week, we covered a heart relationship with God as a fundamental for strong faith. Uh, it's easy for routine to take the place of relationship. Is that true? That's true in life. That's true in, in your work ethic, uh, in, your, on your jo- in your job place. Also very true at home. You can let routine play, take the place of closeness in marriage. Yes? True. A lot to talk about there. Maybe we'll get there one day. So uh, this week I want to continue uh, talking about the heart and faith and add a dimension on how our relationship with God and others affects our faith. I'm not sure I'm going to get to that last part today because every time I pray and seek God, he always adds to what I thought I was going to say. So good relationships. Let's start here and say this. Start with a clear conscience. You ever thought about that? Good relationships start with a clear conscience. So you know if your conscience isn't clear, if, cogni- if there's cognitive dissonance, that is your internal person doesn't agree with what you're doing, it shows up in your attitudes. Does it or not? So you can say all the right things in all the wrong way and you turn people's heads. Is that true? So good relationships begin with a clear conscience and see that creates a, a good relationship with God. So how many know that unrepentant sin can hinder faith? Now, I've got to talk about this. So unrepentant sin, it can hinder your faith because it's of the faith is of the heart. So uh, anything that you constantly do that affects your closeness to God uh, can affect your faith. You know it's wrong. You can be doing something. You know it's wrong. If you're doing things you know are wrong, but you go there anyway, see, that affects faith, right? Now, I've got to talk about this. We're living in a culture right now that will not acknowledge sin. So if you live in a culture, whatever the part of the world you live in, now, now the way things are going, they're creating laws that anethnetize sin, make it as though there is nothing wrong morally with lots of things that we as believers say is wrong, yes or no? In fact, uh, in my notes, I take reading notes when I read. I've been doing this for many years. I went back to my archives yesterday, and I noticed I was reading uh, Romans 3, uh, 9 uh, in my Holman um, Christian Standard Bible, the study notes. If you want a good study note, study Bible, HCSB. And uh, I've got it online. I've got an olive tree Bible app I use. And I, I, I really enjoy that one maybe the most because they've uh, annotated most every, every uh, verse in the Bible with really great historical facts and, 
and contextual things about culture that we don't understand. You won't understand the Bible unless you understand the culture of the Bible. You understand? So really great notes. But the note that they, they gave uh, about this was really good, and the Lord kept reminding me. In fact, it wasn't in my notes till just before I came in here. He said, put it in there. So here's the note from HCSB Study Bible, Romans uh, 3, 9. All the world is under sin, and yet sin, watch, is considered an archaic topic in our secular society. It's not hard to guess why. Vice is something done against yourself. Crime is something done against society or an individual, but sin is against God. Since modern culture is essentially atheistic, sin has become a meaningless term. Is that true? So to, to, to everybody but believers, sin means nothing. But the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Bible says sin has wages. It pay, there's payday coming for sin. The wages of sin is death, but most people, even believers, live as though sin is innocuous. Sin won't bother you. And now, let me, let me add to it a little bit here. Uh, back, uh, this is uh, 2022, so I'd say 12 years ago, 10, 12, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, maybe there was a book put out by, by a, a, a well-known minister worldwide, and... Um, and he basically said in that book, believers no longer need to confess their sins to God. Sin is no longer the, a problem to a believer. Let me tell you how I got this. Um, I was uh, ministering one Wednesday night. And after I finished ministering, someone showed up uh, in my office and uh, I said, I need to talk to you, Pastor. I said, okay. And this person said, well... Uh, I just want you to know you're the most negative preacher I ever heard in my life. I said, can you say that again? I think I mis misheard you. This person said, I think you're the most negative preacher I've ever heard in my life. I said, well, I think you haven't got it yet. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can you say that one more time? I think you're the most negative preacher I've ever heard in my life. And, uh, you know, I was startled, dumbfounded, uh, and said, and I said, well, you know, you know, I've been in ministry since 1981, and you're the first person to ever say that to me. Why are you saying that? And, and then this person whipped out a book and said, you need to read that. I said, okay, I got the book, read the book. Thesis of the book is because we're in Christ, our position is we're in Christ. And since you are in Christ, all of your sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, regardless of where you are and what you do, what you say, how you act, what your motives are, anything you ever do has already been cleansed by the blood, so you never even need to talk about sin to God. My dear friends... That is universalism. That is false doctrine. Par none. If you go, now I'm not on my notes yet. I'll get to them eventually. If you go through the New Testament, what did the Apostle Paul say? Check yourself. See whether you be in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's Ananias and Sapphira. 
they were selling their goods, giving it to the church to distribute to those who had needs. They sold a parcel of land and, uh, and said, well, we, pay, we, we sold it for so-and-so. Here's all the money. And what happened? They sold it for more than that, kept part of the money. There wasn't a problem with selling and keeping part for yourself if you want to. The problem was lying. They told that to Peter. Peter said to uh, Ananias, well, you've not lied to men, but God and the Holy Ghost came on him and he fell down dead. God judged sin. Then his wife Sapphira came in and said, you sell the land for so much? Uh-huh. And she dropped dead. Now, see, that's shocking to us in the 21st century to think that someone who says they know God could drop dead because of sin. But what you've got to understand, the conscious presence of God doesn't like sin. Now, it's going to get quiet in here because I've got some stuff to talk about. Y'all want to hear this? Then the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a man who was having um, sex with his mother-in-law and just walking, walking to church with her hand in hand, holding hands. And, uh, and everybody saw it, and he judged that person, and he turned them over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh that their spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Maybe that person had a whiff of what uh, I read in that book, that anything you do past, present, and future has already been judged by Jesus, and you don't have to, uh, you don't have to deal with sin in your life. You do anything you want to do. It's wrong. Revelation chapters 2 and 3, I don't have time to go through all that. If you go read the seven churches of Revelation, the letters that Jesus wrote to those various churches, boy, he got on their backside, you hear me? And talked to them about what they weren't doing and told them to repent. He said, I have someone against you. The church in Ephesus, you've left your first love. Laodicea, Revelation 3. He said, you're putrid in my eyes, you make me want to vomit. How would you like for Jesus to walk up to you, smile, and say, you make me want to vomit? Well, again, is sin an issue with God? Yes, it is. So this ideology has permeated the church culture in the Western world particularly, uh, not so much in Africa and places like that. But, it, but you know, because of, uh, because of the advent of, uh, of the Internet and all that, it's gained traction in a number of places. But, but it's, it's, it's hindered uh, the work of God in individual believers' lives. Did you hear me? You know, you have a positional place in God. You're in Christ. That's your position before God. You're, you're, you've been cleansed by Jesus' blood, and you are the righteousness of God in him. Righteousness is your position. But how many know sanctification is also an issue? And you're being made more and more like Jesus every single day, yes or no? Well, because that is an issue. You know, we have a position. We are sanctified. We're set apart from the world, set apart to Jesus. But then there's progressive sanctification or a work that God does in your life that little bit by little bit, he separates you from who you were, how you acted, what you thought, how you responded, how you related to life in so many ways. How many recognize that from the time you met Jesus until now, there have been some change going on? Would you please raise your hand? If not, you're dead, <laughs> And then there's final sanctification, and that's when the rapture of the church occurs, uh, or you go to be with Jesus, and, uh, and you shed this physical body, and Jesus will give you a body like his resurrection body. That's final and permanent separation to God. Isn't that awesome? 
In the meantime, we've got to deal with ourselves and we've got to be willing to deal with sin. I need to talk about this subject because of what I said when in the transition, we are going into a period of time where the presence of God will be like something you've never experienced. The presence of God will be so pristine and pure. Um, If you've never experienced the clean presence of God, it's overwhelming. Uh, Isaiah speaks about it very clearly in the year King Uzziah died. Isaiah 6, 1, I saw the Lord, I'm not even to my notes yet, hang on. He was sitting on a lofty throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. He saw the Lord uh, attending him, attending God were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. Two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. This is New Living Translation. The voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke of the glory of God. You know, here in churches today, we put a little smoke machine on, that ain't the glory. (laughs) Then I said, Isaiah said, it's all over, I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Let me tell you, um, I was maybe two years old in the Lord. I was in Bible school. I was in one of my Bible school friend's uh, houses. He, he uh, lived with his brother who owned a home, and his brother uh, worked for the um, General Adjustment Bureau and was out adjusting insurance claims on houses all over the nation. And, uh, and so he was by himself in the house. He invited me on a Friday night, and we went, and on Friday nights for fun, we were Bible school students. For fun, we would take, uh, we go to the grocery store, and buy just a whole bunch of food and, buy, you know, five, six bags of food, just all kinds of stuff, uh, staple goods and such. And, uh, and then we'd take them to a needy person. We knew where the needy people lived. And we walked and go into their house and say, we just want to bless you. And they'd weep and cry. That was our fun. And then we went back to his house, and we were just sitting on the floor in his bedroom talking. And he was leaning up against his bed. I was leaning against the wall. And we were just talking about God and the things we were learning in Bible school. And just talking about the Lord. You know, God wants you to talk about him. He likes it when you choose to think upon his name. We were there and while we were talking, all I can tell you is my experience was a presence come in this room so so strongly that I felt completely undone. I felt lost. I felt... I felt like there's not a part of me that's right. It was so pure. And I began to tremble and shake. At the same time, I felt peace and joy and love. And it was all mixed up in that atmosphere. But it was so strong, I thought it would consume me. And I said, God, turn it off. Just turn it off. And my my friend was weeping, crying. We both were evidently. I don't know what we were talking about, but it got God's ear. And he let his presence manifest. You know, I was with the Lord in the Baptist church for 18 years and never felt the presence of God. I got baptized with the Holy Ghost. There's a new dimension of life you enter into with the baptism with the Spirit. In fact, in fact, tomorrow, 46 years ago, I got baptized with the Holy Ghost as a 17-year-old. But after that experience, I began to experience the presence of Jesus in a way I never had. When you experience the presence of God just one time, 
It'll do two things. It'll show you how much you're loved. And it'll show you how much unlike God you are. And if there's something in you that says, well, I'm all right with God, you don't know him well. The closer you get to the Lord, the more you see how earthly and sinful you are. Did you hear me? And if you don't recognize that, you had not gotten fur yet. When I first came to the Lord, this is 1976, I was working in a grocery store going to a college. And, uh, and in the grocery store, we'd have guys that worked on the weekends uh, to uh, augment their income for their family. And here's a guy. Uh, he had a couple of kids. He was probably in his, uh, I don't know, looks like late 20s, early 30s. Of course, I was, uh, I was uh, 18. And I turned 18 after I got filled with the Spirit the next month, October. And uh, so anyway, uh, he found out I came to the Lord because uh, I was doing what everybody else did before I came to the Lord, all those little guys that worked at the grocery store and put the groceries on the shelves. And we'd be in the back room, and they're cussing and carrying on and lusting and all this stuff. And I changed dramatically over a weekend and went to, went to work on Monday, and I was transformed. Everybody saw it. They picked on me, you know, for, trying to get me to do something wrong, trying to get me to say something wrong, you know. And, uh, you know, God bless him. And, um, and uh, anyway, he come up to me and said, well, I'm glad you met the Lord. And this was a real clean-cut guy. Uh, he, had, uh, he was a Bible school graduate. He hadn't entered into ministry yet. But he was going to a fundamental Bible church. I don't think he was spirit-filled the way that we understand it from Acts 2-4. But he was a really good believer, good Christian. And uh, anyway, he asked me a question since he found out I knew the Lord. I never forgot what he said. I had known the Lord here maybe a month or so. He said, uh, what determines the spirituality, Mitch, what determines the spirituality of a person? And I said, I don't know. What do you mean? He said, um, uh, who are the most spiritual believers? I said, well, I, I don't know. And he said this, those who confess their sins the quickest. I, I never forgot that. And I only had I'd known the Lord for a month. What we tend to do is hang on to what we do. Because we like it. But if it's sin, it's sin. How many hear me? So I need to talk, I'm going to talk about sin today because it's one thing that can whip your backside spiritually and keep you away from God's best. Charles Spurgeon said this, God never allows his people to sin successfully. Their sin will either destroy them or it will invite the chasing hand of God. Wow. He said, if history of Israel teaches the contemporary church anything, it's obvious lesson that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. William Barclay said, this is an easygoing attitude to sin is always dangerous. Mm. It's been said that our security against sin lies in our being shocked at it. So what do you think? Do you snuggle up to sin sometimes? Say, well, I'm tired. I want to do this. God will forgive me. See, that, how many know that's a dangerous place? Somebody, takes it, somebody said it may take 20 years for a believer to backslide because you, you keep just etching away at your conscience, doing that which you know you should not do. That's a dangerous place to be. Produces a callous on the heart. Hebrews 3 says, Leonard Revenhill says, there are three people living in each of us. The one we think we are, the one other people think we are, and the one God knows we are. <laughs> Isn't that good? Mm. So let me ask you a question. How quickly do you make things right with God when you mess up? 
That's the question. Why am I asking this question? Because we're entering into a period of time. Listen to what I'm about to say. Where the presence of God is coming in a way we've never experienced it. I think that I've felt the strong presence of God, but I don't think it holds a candle to the presence of God that God wants to come upon the church. It will not come upon everyone because if you had the pure, unadulterated presence of God in your life with sin, it would consume you. You remember the man named Uzziah in the Old Testament, they were bringing the the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistine camp. The Ark was supposed to be, um, actually it wasn't supposed to be on a cart. supposed to be carried by poles, by people that were authorized to carry it. Well, they had it on a cart, cart hit a hole, it dipped, about hit the ground, and he put his hand on the Ark to steady it from hitting the ground. He dropped dead. You read that story, if you don't know God well and don't know the Bible well, it seems odd that that same presence that heals, that restores, that loves, that brings joy can also slay. See, that's an odd thing. Samuel's sons, Nadab and Abihu, offered strange fire before the Lord in the temple of God in the Old Testament. And they drop dead. You say, Pastor, why are you saying all this? Because there is coming the pristine presence of God to the church. Not to everybody, but to the remnant that will pay the price. And they will be the ones during this really dark time that the world enters into before Jesus comes back, before the rapture of the church takes place. They will be the people that are used by God to minister to others. How many hear what I just said? See, it's quiet in here, isn't it? So the question is, am I going to be part of that? Don't forget, don't forget this. Let me read this scripture. Everybody okay? Jeez, stop the clock. Stop. Listen to this. It makes more sense when you read this in that context, Ephesians 5, 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He, Christ, gave up his life for her, the church, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her, the church, to himself. Christ did this to present the church to himself as a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. That's where God's taken the church today. Any man or woman of God that's preaching the word today, that's listening to the Holy Spirit, has to talk about sin and has to talk about repentance. My opinions are the church in America is perhaps at one of its lowest spots in history because we've assumed the ideology of the culture we live in. And we've said things are okay so we can hopefully bring people to Christ that don't know him. Instead of bringing them to the Jesus we know, we've tried to become, and us becoming like Jesus, we've sought to become like them to be friendly to them. And it's killed our evangelism. Do you hear what I'm saying? God's got to, he's right now refocusing the church. How many hear what I'm saying? I speak prophetically. He's, 
He's refocusing the body of Christ right now. And he's saying you've got to deal with yourself. No, he doesn't want us to focus on sin. He wants us to focus on getting it out of us because he wants to cleanse us and set us free. So, so, there is a, so, so let me say this. So I don't care who you are, where you've been, what you've been doing, what you've been dabbling in. Now is the time to repent. Because if you don't repent now, when the stuff hits the fan, you won't have time to repent. You, you know, when a flood comes, I've been in other countries when, you ever seen a big raging flood? Uh, countries that, that don't have all of the apparatus we have in the Western world and in America when, and they just have riverbeds and such and, and they don't have the Army Corps of Engineers to figure out what they need to do when, the, uh, when it rains in the mountains and the waters come. I've seen floods come. I've watched floods take trees away, take houses away. It's a, water is powerful. And what's coming is powerful. And if you're not ready for it, you could be consumed by it. Do you hear me? Isaiah 60, arise, shine, your light has come. For the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness will cover the people. Gross darkness will cover the people. But his light will shine upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. Now, that's prophecy of today. God's wanting to clean you up. You say, well, pastor, what do I do? Well, just listen for a little bit. Here's what you do. Right now, start dealing with yourself. I started praying this way in 1985. I know it took me that long. I met the Lord in 1975. I was reading Psalm 123, uh, uh, the very last uh, portion of that, uh, Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked motive within me. Lead me on the way of life. I pray that, I'm not kidding, I prayed that. I say, God, I know I don't need to pray this. I'm gonna pray it anyhow. Because I was full of myself and full of pride. And I was, uh, you know, like 27. So I said, God, you know, if there's anything in me, of course, I don't think there is, but, you know, I know you're proud of me. I mean, honest, y'all. If you're young and you haven't gone through some bumps of life, you could be real full of yourself, and I was. I was full of me, and I didn't know I was full of me. Started praying that prayer, and I prayed that, and nothing happened. I prayed it again, nothing happened. I prayed it for days, nothing happened. Prayed it the next week, nothing happened. Prayed it the next week, nothing happened. I said, God, you... You need more people like me in the body of Christ, don't you? So bad, so bad. Finally, finally I woke up one day and I didn't feel right inside. I said, what's wrong? He wouldn't say anything to me. I prayed that prayer again. He wouldn't say anything to me. I lost the joy. I lost the peace. I found out I was full of me. I was more full of me than I was of Jesus. I was more full of ambition and personal success than I was of Jesus. I was more full of my position than I was of Jesus. And I'm telling you, y'all, you've never had a whooping until Jesus does it for you. He took me to the woodshed, said, Mitch, we got to talk, son. Started with pride. Ended up dealing with so many things. And here today, I, I stand before you, I, I think there's so many things that God still needs to deal with in me. And if you don't have that kind of attitude, I wonder how close you are to the Lord. I mean, to hear what I'm saying. Psalm 60, say, everybody okay? 
Psalm 66, 18, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. The issue with today is, and what my focal point is, sin will hinder you from fellowship with God. And this pristine presence that's coming that will, that will minister to people and heal people and set people free from sin, it'll come on your life, but you gotta live right to do it. And if you're living a lukewarm life, partly with the world, partly with Jesus, it's not gonna work well for you. How many hear me? Proverbs 1, 28, 29, when they cry for help, I will not answer. God's talking to a person who says they know him because they're crying for help, but they're not living and walking right. They thought, they anxious, though they anxiously search for me, they'll not find me, for they hated knowledge and choose not to fear the Lord. There's a person that knows the word but chooses not to walk in the light of what they know. So he says, that's why he says that they hated knowledge. Choose not to fear or respect the Lord. If I respect the Lord, I won't do things that he says he doesn't want me to do. Yes or no? Y'all awake? Isaiah 1.15, when you lift up your hands in prayer, God said, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Why? For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves, verse 16, and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. He's talking to his Old Testament people. And he says to us, the church today, it's time to clean up. Isaiah 59, 1. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is ear too deaf to hear you. your call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he's turned away and will not listen anymore. Your hands are the hands of murderers. Your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips full of lies. Your mouth spews corruption. No one cares about being fair and honest. The people's lawsuits are based on lies. They conceive evil deeds and then give birth to sin. He's talking to his people. People, not the people of the world. He's talking to his people. And then the apostle John, 1 John 5, uh, 1 verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and him, in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. And see what he's talking there. If you say you know Jesus, but you're acting like everybody around you who doesn't know Jesus, you don't know him. That's what he was saying. And then, you know, you can't help but think about this. Matthew Matthew 7, 13, where Jesus said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. The gate is wide for many are they who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. You speak to the average American, everybody's going to heaven. Why? why? Maybe one day even the devil will get saved. <laughs> that's a fraud, that's a deception, you hear me? But to think, well, everybody's, everybody's going to heaven. No, 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 no. He said only a few will. Are you gonna be one of those few? Then verse 21, Matthew 7, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many, didn't say few, didn't say a handful, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. 
Cast out demons in your name. Perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. You break God's law. This is a person who says they're a believer. But during, and maybe even goes to church. Maybe even gives money and helps people. And maybe is a volunteer. But during the week, they don't walk with Jesus. There's a duplicitous life. And God is wanting to deal with duplicity. That is, thinking one way, acting one way, saying one thing one day, and doing something completely different another day. How many hear me? The good news is, 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case, a lawyer who pleads your case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Is that good news? Then Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That is when we acknowledge our sin and we and we'll come before God with humility. Isaiah 43, 25, I even I am he who blots out your transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember your sins. Micah 7, 19, he will again have compassion on us, will subdue our iniquities. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Hmm. In James 4, 17, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then you don't do it. <laughs> Are y'all ready for what I'm about to say? So listen carefully. If you're living in an immoral lifestyle and you come to victory, maybe you're not a member yet, just come and listen, listen. Or maybe you're watching online, you go to another church. If you're living immorally, you're not right with God and you've got to repent. If you're living with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, if you're shacking up, if you're having one-night stands with people, you're in sin, my friend. You cannot go to heaven and live that way because God is holy. How many get it? Yeah, yeah. If you're regularly lying to others and you don't repent, you're not right with God. Hmm. Uh, if you're drunk or if you get drunk regularly or abuse drugs regularly to overcome life's pressures instead of falling at the feet of Jesus saying, God, I'm overwhelmed, what do I do? My friend, you're not right with God. You've got to repent. How many get it? If you view pornography regularly and enjoy doing it and you don't repent and say, oh God, I'm messing with my conscience and my heart, you're not right with God. You've got to repent. How many get it? If you're married and you ignore your family and you spend your time, most of your time away from them, you waste money that should care for your family, friend, you are not right with God. You've got to repent. How many get it? Women, if you dress in such a way that you know you're making men turn their heads to look at you and your body, you are not right with God. <laughs> yes or no? Women, if you're married and you're acting and speaking in ways that are suggestive and flirty towards men other than your husbands, you're not right with God. Need to repent. Did you get that? Yeah, if you're um, selfish, and have to have everything your way at the expense of others. And if it didn't, doesn't go your way, you get angry and you lash out. Friend, you are not right with God. Need to repent. I can't get any cleaner than that. Why am I saying all that? Pastor, I've been coming to Victory X number of years. We're living in a culture that is becoming more and more crass. Have you noticed? Our children are being taught that if I'm a boy I, I, and I want to be a girl, I can be. 
Our children are being taught, if I'm a boy, I can love a boy. Or if I'm a girl, I can love a girl. The laws in our nation changed in 2015 to say that our nation and our tax laws will recognize a man who marries a man as well as a woman who marries a woman, and it's okay. And we've imbibed that. Now that's being taught to our children in school. Is that okay? Is it okay? Uh, we're morally, we're, we're in a moral deficit par none right now. And God is saying to the American church, wake up. Besides that, deception and lying to get your way, to make a business deal, to pass a law, to make people like you, to hide things so nobody will know what you're doing behind closed doors. My friend, it's prevalent and everywhere, and that spirit is everywhere. If you practice lying, you'll never go to heaven. Pastor, why are you saying all this? Friends, it's time to clean up. So as, you know, as I say all these things, I'm thinking about me. What do I need to clean up? It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. How many hear me? So what do you need to do? You gossiping, you backbiting? You rebellious against authority? What you doing with your life? Or are you loving Jesus? When you hurt somebody, you go back to him and say, I'm sorry. Or do you inwardly think, I hope that got him good. I hope to feel that for a while. My friends, Jesus is asking us to live by another standard today. How many hear me? I mean, this is, is this a strong word or not? Huh? I just know that for a faith to work, you've got to keep short accounts with God. And, and if you've been involved in any of the things I just said, don't let condemnation wear you down. Take your pride and put it on the ground and say, God, I need help with this and this and this. You know what I found out? God has a lot of mercy when you humble yourself. Maybe you're sitting here and you just got a weakness in your flesh and you've got an anger problem, you've got a gossip problem, you've got a selfishness problem, you've got a moral problem, whatever. You know what I found out? If you'll be honest with God. Maybe you're sitting here and you're not treating your wife right. Did you know men, if you don't love your wives the way Jesus loved the church, you can't get your prayers answered? Is that true? And then women, if you, if, if you use your beauty to assert yourself and make a place for you, you are in sin. Jezebel in the Old Testament did that. She batted her eyes at everybody said. This is crass, but I'm going to say this. Back in 1993, I was pastoring a church for a guy. He was on a mission field. And a lady just came to the Lord and... Uh, she was an attractive lady. I can't tell you the whole, it was just all, I had to deal with her so harshly. And you know what she said to me? I can get anything I want from anybody. All I got to do is lay on my back. That's awful. So again, I'm saying all this because friends, it's time to clean up. I'm, I'm not kidding. It's time to clean up. What I do know is you got a church our size. Somebody in the church is going to be affected by the culture and let the things in the culture come right into their life. And then we want to be innocuous and think it's okay. It's not. 
we are a holy people and we serve a holy Father God. And I just, if I could beg you, I'd beg you. I just know what God's speaking to me. He's saying, Mitch, you think you're clean? He said, clean up some more. How many here? I've been walking with Jesus 46 years. And I keep hearing him say, come away with me. Let go of that, let go of that. I still have selfish tendencies. I can get angry. I know how to assert myself with words. Maybe I shouldn't tell you. I, I could probably out-talk anybody. That's not good. If I didn't know God, you wouldn't like me. Huh? So see, I got to take me and wrestle me to the ground. You know, Jacob, he was a, he was a rascal in the Old Testament. And he made his way. He was a self-made man. And he made everybody acquiesce to his demands and his desires and his wishes. He was a narcissist par none. He went to sleep one night and woke up with somebody saying, come on, we're going to fight. I'm picking a fight with you. And Jacob may have said, well, I'll just whip your butt. You better go on. He wrestled with that dude all night long. And finally, after all night of wrestling, the guy touched him hurt one of his thigh muscles. And Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life. Some Bible scholars think that was a theophany and appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. At least it was an angel, the Bible says, that wrestled with him. He wrestled with God and God won. And until you've had God wrestle you down, you don't know him like he wants you to. Would you stand up on your feet? Turn the lights down, would you please? We have a little time left here. Would you lift your hands with me? Lord, today's a day of searching and sifting. Today's a day of waiting on God. It's a day of humility. It's a day of contriteness. It's a day to repent. It's a day to change your ways, mend your ways. Father, I'll just, you know, anything in me that I need to change, talk to me. However you need to say that to the Lord, will you say that to him about you? Anything I need to say, anything I need to change, speak to me. Talk to me. You may be hearing some of the things I talked about you messing with and you know you're messing with but you don't want anybody else to know. See, there's the person again we think we are. There's the person that others think we are. But then the real person is the one that God knows we are. So Lord, turn your light on. Ask him to in your life. Turn your spotlight on us. And talk to us. We want to be bearers of the glory. Bearers of the presence. Let the presence come in. Let the presence come in. In Jesus' name. 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 Draw me close Yes, Lord. Yes. Never.
never let me go. Yes. Yes. I lay it all down again. Yes. To hear you say that I'm your friend. Yes. Yes. You are my desire. Lord, let that be in every life. No one else will do. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Because nothing else can take your place. Hallelujah. To feel the warmth of your embrace. Yes. Help me find a way. Bring, Bring me, me back, back to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're all I want. Yes. You're all I've ever needed. You're You know, there's a, a girl here. Now, the thought has been put in your mind because of our culture. You go kiss another girl. My friend, that's a demon spirit talking to you. And you need to know it. And it's trying to lure you into a life that you'll be hard to get out of. Jesus can deliver you and set you free. But right now is the time to say, uh-uh, I depart from that. Friends can get you into trouble, young and old, and just trying to please another person can move you away from the presence of Jesus. You got to draw a standard in your life. So not for me, not today, and not ever. See, I get here, I hear things. Here's another person, money. Money's become a big deal to you. And it's causing friction in your home. The Bible says, doesn't say seek first money and all these things will be yours. It says seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. It's causing friction in your home. I don't know what I'm talking about when I say that, but you do if that's you. God's dealing with you to deal with it. Make things right. Their marriage is in here. The man needs to take his place. You need to take your place and love your spouse. You need to take your place and provide for your family. You need to take your place and be the lover to your, to your wife, the care provider, the protector of your home. Your wife's looking for you to direct, for direction, and she's having to do all the work herself. She needs you, sir, with the children. She needs you to take responsibility. I know you work hard. All of us do. I know you're tired when you get home. All of us are. But you've got to put yourself last and put your children. Put Jesus first. Take care of your children. Take care of your wife. Stop the excuses. Father God, thank you for ministering life in this room. Lord, all of us present ourselves to you. What is it before we go? 
while you're standing right there that you need to present before God. Say, Lord, I've allowed this in my life. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's some form of self-centeredness that's messing with you and hindering you and hindering you with those closest to you. Substance abuse is in this room. Alcoholic stuff is in. Say, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I drink, but I got it under control. My friend, you can get out from under control so quickly. Be not drunk with wine where you're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, I do it because it takes the edge off. Jesus, let Jesus take the edge off. We've given ourselves permission to do things, my friends, and it gets us into trouble. Hallelujah. Lord, let your holy presence come in this room. And Lord, let it settle on every one of us. Let it settle on me. Let it settle on every man, every woman, every boy, every girl in this room, every person listening. Let the presence of Jesus come. Let the presence of Jesus, let the presence of heaven permeate us. Lord, let it enter into our soul. Let it enter into our thoughts, our emotions. Let it enter into our physical bodies in the name of Jesus. Permeate us, Lord, with you. Saturate us with you. Oh, dear Father God, let your consuming fire come and burn up the chaff, the things that hinder and distract in life. I pray beginning today that the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, would dog each one of us. Deal with us, deal with us, deal with us when we're making choices and and decisions and are doing things that are less than your best. Draw us away from it. Draw us away, Lord, from distractions. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.